Today on Understanding Immigration, SCOTUS decisions and Texas's response. There is nothing humane about encouraging desperate people to pick up everything they have and try to come to the United States, try to go through that process. So I think it just really highlights again the need by Congress to take away this uh, immigration authority from the administration, take it back into their own hands and get this under control. Coming to you from Washington, D.C., you are now listening to FAIR's Understanding Immigration Podcast. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of FAIR's Understanding Immigration Podcast. This is Preston Hennikins, FAIR's Government Relations Manager, and I'm joined today by FAIR's Director of Research, Spencer Raley. Since our last episode, the landscape surrounding immigration policy has changed drastically. The Supreme Court recently ended the Migrant Protection Protocols, uh, also known as the Remain in Mexico policy, um, which was put in place under President Trump. And a week after that decision, Texas Governor Greg Abbott uh, declared that there was an invasion at Texas's southern border by signing an executive order that allows the Texas National Guard and the Texas Department of Public Safety to apprehend and return illegal immigrants who have crossed between the ports of entry at the southern border. These are different stances between SCOTUS and the state of Texas, and they certainly have created some fireworks uh, in the way of discussing the national responsibility of handling immigration and what the states are able to do when they disagree with those decisions. So let's jump right into it. Spencer, with these you know, kind of competing pieces of news, um, what changes do you see in the way of migration enforcement? And let's, let's talk first about um, enforcement in light of the SCOTUS ruling. Right, right. Yeah, so as we all know, for the last year, year and a half now, the Biden administration has been attempting to end the migrant protection protocols, which were implemented by Trump in 2019 and effectively ended the 2019 border surge we were seeing with illegal crossings because what that did is, of course, it it essentially stopped asylum fraud in its tracks. Individuals had to, for the most part, remain in a safe third country if they could do so while their asylum claims were processed. So, you know, of course, if their asylum claim was denied, it, it, it took away all the incentive to fraudulently uh, uh, file a, a, a fraudulent asylum claim. So just like almost everything else Trump did that worked at the border, the Biden administration decided to rescind that and reverse it. And of course, it ended up uh, going through a long legal process and got to the Supreme Court. Now, it's kind of interesting. The Supreme Court decision can be taken many different ways. It was largely kind of was the procedure followed correctly. Some of the justices did want to focus more on the government's role in stopping illegal immigration, which it would have been great if that was the entire premise of the case. However, the bottom line still is that now the administration has the green light to end MPP, which is one of the most effective tools that could be used to combat illegal immigration at the southern border to stop this just ever-increasing crisis that we're seeing. But they have been given a green light to end it, and by you know all indication, uh, Alejandro Mayorkas plans still to end it. So I think it just really highlights, again, the need by Congress to take away this uh, immigration authority from the administration, take it back into their own hands and get this under control. Yeah, that's right. I, and I know that at the time, uh, we, FAIR, released uh, in our press release, noted that we mm -hmm. didn't disagree with the ruling of the court because, I, you know, 
the administration has the ability to to act within its own right. purview, and, and it's, it's it's just a shame that they, in our you know, from our perspective, they're making a, a catastrophic decision by right. by ending this program because it was so successful at ending the 2019 crisis, and as you said. If it was fully implemented and was mm-hmm. and you know fully implemented at the border, it would remove the incentive to use asylum as a way to get to the United States. Because if you are using asylum only as a way to get your feet in into the country, if you're then being removed back to Mexico and having to wait there for two years, you know through the duration of your asylum hearing, mm-hmm. that has taken away. The entire reason that you came in the first place, which was to abuse asylum as a way to just get into the U.S., get a job, and and disappear into the interior of the country. Right, and I think it's important again to highlight with this Supreme Court case one of the one of the tactics that the left that Democrats used when Trump was in office to stop so many of his reversals of immigration policies, uh, you know, disastrous immigration policies put in place by you know f- former President Obama and even earlier. Uh, presidents was to use this kind of phrase in in, in the uh, administrative process, take it out of and take it out of context. It's it's known as the arbitrary and capricious um, uh, clause to essentially stop the administration from using their authority to end policies enacted by previous administrations. So. Of course, that was why so many of the Trump policies were caught up in court. And then, of course, then Republicans, once Biden took over, was like, well, we're going we're gonna to use your own precedent against you to try to stop you from enacting disastrous policy. So, again, it's, I think it's important for, for you know, listeners to understand that, you know, why there's some, uh, you know, some procedural things here. The bottom line still remains that MPP really shouldn't have the, the administration. If they cared about getting this this under control, they wouldn't have ended it in the first place. No matter what procedure they followed, they would have kept it in place because it was effective and it was working. But we see the Biden administration wants asylum fraud. They want as many people coming into the country as possible, and that you know is just is just uh, exemplified again and again. You know, either by them. You know, flying people into the country or giving, you know, taking away authority from, uh, you know, the judicial process and immigration judges to properly prosecute and remove those that are committing asylum fraud straight up to the Biden administration recently firing uh, quite a quite a few immigration judges that had uh, high uh, high decision volumes that removed individuals that committed asylum fraud. So essentially, this is on par with the admi- administration. You know, they kind of see this as a victory. More people coming into the country, uh, filing fraudulent asylum claims, and of course, then being released into the country. Right, and and you know, the dichotomy couldn't be starker between. What the Trump administration did when they were facing mm-hmm. a border crisis in 2019, and the Biden administration when they're facing the current crisis, you know, right. the, the Trump administration, they they did everything they could to try and stop it. Some of the policies were great, some of them mm-hmm. were, you know, ended up failing in court. They they ended them, but they tried something. Yes. And what you're seeing now with the Biden administration is they know what tools are available to them. To, to reduce the volume that we're seeing at the southern border mm-hmm. in terms of apprehensions. And the MPP program was one of them. Right. MPP really was the catalyst that ended the 2019 crisis. And so for them to be fighting as hard as they are to mm-hmm. end it, even right. as we saw over 230,000 
apprehensions in May, the highest mm-hmm. in, in recorded U.S. history, I, I think just speaks volumes to where their priorities lie as an administration. It's certainly not reducing right. apprehensions. If anything, it's it's sitting on their hands and at worst maybe even encouraging it. Right, and I th- and you know if you look at the 2019 crisis, now of course a lot of a lot of individuals, you know, mass migrant apologists in the mainstream media like to say, well, of course in 2020 apprehensions were low, there was COVID. But if you look at the 2019 crisis, after MPP was implemented, apprehensions at the southern border decreased by half before you got to February of 2020. Those were highly effective uh, programs that really took the made the duration of that border crisis three months, six months, and now you're almost at year two of the uh, Biden immigration crisis at the border, and the issue is just getting worse. Every month now, it seems like we're setting new all-time records for apprehensions at the southern border, for a uh, number of releases into the country, criminals apprehended at the border, ter- people with terrorist ties Got apprehended away, at the border, gotaways, <laughs> and complementing that with record low numbers of individuals being uh, prosecuted, record low in- number of individuals being removed from the country. So no one can anymore argue that this isn't a product of design. That's absolutely right. And I think that that ties in nicely to our other topic today, mm-hmm. which is on some of the actions um, that the states have taken, states mm-hmm. that that really are, are at the epicenter of the crisis, you know, particularly Arizona and Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, these are both Republican-led states at the at the state level who have have you know done a variety of things to try and res- you know tr- their best, try their best right, to resolve right. what's happening or to mm-hmm. to dampen it. And um, Governor Greg Abbott in Texas, particularly has been at the forefront of this. Um, a few weeks ago, he spearheaded this effort to bus migrants to D.C., um, you know, which looked looked great on media, but it, again, you're... <laughs> ineffective, but it, it, it was it, a yeah, statement. It, it, ineffective. Just a statement. <laughs> yeah, it was a statement. And and now you're seeing a similar, similar action from his executive order um, that he issued in, you know, not necessarily in response to the Supreme Court decision, but certainly in light of it, and it, and it mm-hmm. reinforces it. And what this does is it, it empowers the um, Texas National Guard the tech and the um, officers within DPS in the state um, to, to, to take migrants and release them um, farther south in Texas. I mm-hmm. think it's important to note that this does not, you know, DPS officials and Texas National Guard officials are not releasing illegal aliens back into Mexico. Right. They're right. releasing them just farther south, and they're probably going to come back north. So, I mean, right. Spencer, could, <laughs> could we, um, you know, talk about this a little bit and and what this po- what impact this policy might have? Well, again, it's sort of like. Uh, Sort of like the scheme when he was busing my uh, illegal aliens up to D.C. This is mostly a statement by the administration showing their disapproval, showing that they're going to try to do something. But like you mentioned, it's not a deportation effort. Essentially what it's doing is it's taking state taxpayer dollars and just bringing uh, illegal aliens from the interior of Texas, you know, places like San Antonio, uh Houston, Dallas, Fort Worth, anywhere north of that, you know, border area, and then returning them back to the border and turning them over to CBP officials, which, as we know, are not doing anything right now at uh, direction of the Biden administration and DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. 
So all that's going to happen is they're just going to be released right back into the country. Uh, and as we as we've you know shown a line on here at Fair recently, in many cases, the Biden administration, if these individuals are unable to get into the country effectively, they're like, oh, we'll just fly you somewhere, like on tax federal taxpayer right. dime. So. This is not going to be uh, extremely effective. I guess we could argue that maybe it'll have something of a deterrent effect for Texas itself because these migrants will know, well, if I get caught, I'm not going to be able to settle anywhere. But it, it, it really, again, just puts the uh, shines the spotlight back on just what the federal government needs to be doing. This is their domain. They should be taking it seriously. They have been given a mandate by Congress to defend our borders, to secure them, and to ensure that individuals are not able to just come into the country whenever they want illegally. And so again, it just shows uh, that the administration is failing in their mandated duty and that Congress needs to step in and strip them of that power if they're not going to take it seriously. Yeah, that's right. And it does show really the frustration that's building at the state level. Um, And, you know, for our listeners at home, immigration is, by the Constitution, a federal responsibility. Mm -hmm. That is something that, you know, states cannot, um, you know, there's a reason states can't have their own visa programs, for Mm -hmm. instance, because that's not the responsibility of the constituent states in the union. It's, It's up to the federal government to regulate that. But when you have an administration like the Biden administration that is refusing to enforce, for the most part, immigration laws, when they are handcuffing ICE, when they're you know ending programs that were trying to reduce illegal crossings at the southern border, you're going to have this kind of reaction from states where they're right. going to try everything in their power to, to, to remedy the mm-hmm. situation, even if those state-level policies aren't going to have necessarily a big impact. Um, and, we, right. and you know, we've talked about this before with the deployment of the National Guard in, mm-hmm. in Texas, um, Operation Lone Star. These mm-hmm. these are efforts that on their own are not going to have a big impact, but it shows how seriously the states are, are taking this problem because they're the right. ones that have to deal with it. Right. And again, they can't just pass a law in Texas, you know, that's a federal immigration law. You know, they're very limited in what they can ultimately do. Although, of course, there has been some interesting discussion about, you know, if you declare an invasion, the failure of the federal government, does the state have a right to then actually deport individuals who, in under under that premise, would be invading their state? Which, if they decide to go that route, you're talking another two, three, four year legal battle. But you know, some would argue whether or not that needs to take place. But again, I think it does show that these states are taking the issue seriously. They're really throwing the ball back into the federal government's uh, court and saying, "We've done everything we know to do. Now take this seriously." And it contrasts them from states like California, who just expanded the uh, amount of health care they give to illegal aliens despite so many tragedies occurring on their street record you know homelessness veterans not find, being able to get their own health care that sort of thing but their focus is on illegal aliens and helping the federal government and you know bringing as many of these individuals into the country as possible so i do think it shows a it shows that the governments in these states are taking the issue seriously but ultimately it's just something they don't have a lot of ability to combat and i think it also uh, I think it also highlights just the uh, the issue of uh, you know of of safety at the border as well because again, if you look at just the 
just the sheer number of state resources that are that have to be redirected to the border. Again, if you look at Texas, Texas state troopers, which are like the state law enforcement agency there, they're having to continually redeploy individuals down to the area along the border just to enforce state law down there because you have so many issues going on. And just recently, the uh, UN actually declared the United States southern border as the most dangerous border crossing in the world, which is kind of ridiculous if you think about, you know, so many like uh, crisis hotspots. Like it's not the border of well, Pakistan and Afghanistan. There, there's it's a not war Syria, in, the Ukraine it's, and Russia. Border right, right. Now. <laughs> right. And no, this is it's more dangerous to live along the southern border right now. And so, again, it shows that, you know, the Biden administration doesn't even have the best interests of these you know migrants at heart either. It's all about using them for political gain because we're seeing individuals, you know, dying at the southern border. And when the Biden administration is asked about it, he literally turns his back on reporters and walks away. He yeah. does not care. <laughs> there's there's nothing humane about encouraging desperate people to pick up everything they have and try to come to the United States, try to go through that process. Almost certainly they'll be using mm-hmm. criminal elements to get there, whether that's human smugglers, whether that's cartels who have now you know, really entered the the human trafficking smuggling market right. as a well, as a complement to their to their drug trafficking operations. You know, by and large, it's the cartels that are moving and, the majority of people. And in many cases, they're forcing these individuals to actually turn into drug mules as well. Right. And if you need just a, if you just need an example of how much the Biden administration has empowered these uh, cartels uh, along the southern border and these gangs. You literally, looking at the tragedy that occurred with a tractor trailer where more than 50 people died, this cartel literally had a PR spokesman. Like the media was able to contact a PR spokesman to get a statement from them. This is how much they've been empowered. Like the Biden administration has given them so much business, has encouraged the people to come here illegally to the point that they have PR departments. Right. And they, and, I mean, they operate like multinational corporations. And right, in some cases, right. their profits probably rival that of some, yeah, yeah. some corporations. Billions and, of dollars. Yeah. And, and this, th- these are organizations that are, are entirely detrimental. Their, their entire business model is detrimental to the United States, whether it's drug trafficking, whether it's, you know, human smuggling, human trafficking. Um, and, and this is something that the Biden administration is not addressing because they've, they seemingly feel like, well, we are trying to put in place a humane policy by letting people apply for asylum, you know, X, Y, and Z. But there's nothing humane about en- no. about encouraging those people to come here, given you know what it takes to get here in the first place, given the right. the, the people that they're coming in contact with and the what they're having to do to just to get into the United States to apply for asylum. And mm-hmm. I, I think the example you brought up of that horrific incident in San Antonio with the tractor trailer where 53 people died mm-hmm. because there was there was stuff in the back of a tractor trailer no AC no ventilation and this is something that we've seen before we've seen mm-hmm. this it, it not quite at 53 in one incident right, but this is right. something that happens regularly mm-hmm. and it's it's because we in, we incentivize people to come to this country, and especially this administration incentivizes right. people to come to this country illegally. And, and it, again, it's not just dangerous for those uh, migrants that are trying to come here. There have been more Border Patrol agents who have been killed in the line of duty since Biden took office than the time period from 2014 to 20, the end of 2019 uh, to, uh, to the end of 2019 combined. 
Like it's it's dangerous for everyone involved. And like we had mentioned briefly, these um, these gang organizations, these human traffickers, are kind of using this as an opportunity to increase their drug smuggling into the United States while the border is porous. And because of that, we see the now uh, massive fentanyl issue in the United States. More and more people dying uh, of, of fentanyl overdoses. So it really is all, all the, a lot of this just comes back to inaction at the border. And the argument we hear so many times from uh, open border proponents is like, well, you know, they're only doing this because we don't let them in legally, which is a weak argument in and of itself. But, you know, we here at FAIR have been calling for reforms to the legal immigration system for many, many decades now. One of the main reasons we can't invest more time and opportunity into humanitarian visas is because we have this broken chain migration system that kind of overwhelms our immigration process. Because right now, if we told everyone, oh, you can come the legal way, well, it would still be years before we could even process everything because our system is so broken, it's so overwhelmed. And they're just, it seems like in every facet of immigration now, uh, there is so much room for improvement and so many changes that need to be made. Uh, but instead of actually having a serious conversation about making those changes, the administration is content with just ignoring all law and letting people you know, choose to come here however they want. Yeah, no. And I think um, you bring up a good point with, with changes that need to be made. Mm-hmm. And I think that can segue us into you know, our final topic today, which given everything that's happened, there's only one group of people in this country that can really do anything that will make lasting right. <laughs> lasting change to our immigration law, and that's Congress. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the current Congress, as it's constituated right now, I do not think is going it's to make those changes. <laughs> that could change after mm-hmm. these midterms in November. You know, you never want to say almost certainly, but it it's, right. it, it looks like there will be a change in at least the House of Representatives, mm-hmm. if not both the House and the Senate. You know, what can Congress do, even with a President Biden for you know working with him for two years until the you know the twenty twenty four presidential election? What could a you know either divided Congress or a unified Republican Congress do to put pressure on President Biden to take this crisis seriously and to to either allocate resources? I mean, what what options are available to that? Well, there are there are several good options, and you can probably expound on some of these even better than I can. But first of all, especially if uh, if Republicans take over the House. They can they can pass legislation there, you know, whether it's you know something like e-verify or changes to uh, to the current system, uh, mandating some form of border security, and send it over to the Senate. Now, of course, it's unlikely that there will be sixty votes in the Senate, uh, so it's unlikely that something will be get sent to the president's desk. But again, that is putting people on the record. The administration right now has. Uh, their approval ratings on immigration is in the low 30s, high 20s. Looking at you know, I, I don't, I don't even know who in that, in that cohort truly supports them. But very few people in the United States support this administration when it comes to immigration. So it is important to give them solutions and force them to reject them, put them on the record, hold them accountable. The other thing that can be done is you know you can try to find some way to tie this to, uh, you know, to to budget bills. You know, that that would, you know, bypass the 60 votes in the Senate, bring it down to 50, and again would require the Biden administration to reject a lot of a, a lot of their preferred policies and to really, you know, 
even risk a, a shutdown just to say, no, I want to, this crisis at the border to continue. So, I mean, there, there are a number of different things they can do. Republicans, if they do take back the House and if they take back both the House and Senate, they have no excuse to ignore this topic. No, that's right. I, I think you hit the nail on the head first with forcing either Senate Democrats or President Biden himself to mm-hmm. reject what are probably going to be popular reforms. Right. Whether right. especially if it if it if you tie this especially to border security, you mm-hmm. know, leave le- leaving aside the the issues that we have with legal immigration, which right. which we you know can obviously get into, but j- just talking about what's happening at the border, if you pass bills in the House move them to the Senate, and either force Democratic senators to, to, like you said, vote on continuing the chaos at the border. Right. Or even if somehow, like you said, it passes the Senate, force Joe Biden to to veto legislation that has passed the House and Senate that would fix this crisis. Force him mm-hmm. to to own the crisis that he and right. his, his political appointees have created. I think that's a great... Um, that's a great way to do it. And I think on the more practical level, things that could really have an impact are uh, in the House is oversight, mm-hmm. where, you know, if Republicans control the House of Representatives, bring Alejandro Mayorkas to the House of Representatives, to committees, force him to answer questions about what he's doing. Right. Um, Make so, him testify under oath. <laughs> yeah. Most of what, most of their exposure to him right now has been through the appropriations process. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's not really an adversarial conversation. If you bring him in for a hearing specifically on policies he's put in place, make him defend them under oath, make him defend mm-hmm. them to the American people, I think that you would really start turning up the heat on DHS, on uh, on the Biden administration in general. Um, and then, you know, finally, like you said, the appropriations process is really where it gets done. And the way appropriations work in 2022, uh, it's it's all omnibus bills. And so <laughs> if you're able to to force through some some meaningful changes, uh, you know, appropriate money to building building the wall, appropriate money to building more detention yeah. facilities. Um, and tie that to yeah. it actually being used right. for that purpose and not what the Biden administration is doing now with, you know, money that is environmental. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, clogging it up and then reallocating that money somewhere else. You know, Congress has the ability to actually tie these funds to specific. It, exactly. Actions. And, and because it would be in an omnibus bill, it's not as if he's rejecting one funding bill for the Department of Homeland Security while he the would, rest of the government works. He would have to kill the whole He'd thing. He'd have to kill the entire <laughs> thing over over, you know, unpopular positions that he holds. Right. You know, is he going to, uh, to, to, like you said, force a government shutdown across multiple agencies uh, affecting millions and millions of people, affecting federal workers, all because he doesn't want to re-implement MPP or because he doesn't want to spend, (laughs) you know, $2 billion on building the wall? We just sent $4 billion to Ukraine for crying out loud. Right. (laughs) It it would force him to publicly be willing to literally take money away from millions of American citizens and lawful migrants who work for the federal government to serve their country in order to represent the interests of illegal aliens. Like, it would make him do something radical in order to put Americans last. And, Spencer, (laughs) I think that is probably the best point we could possibly end on today. Um, so again, for our listeners at home, uh, I hope that you've enjoyed today's episode of Understanding Immigration. 
and that you will subscribe to it on your preferred listening platform, whether that is Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, you name it, you can find Understanding Immigration. To learn more about any of these topics that we've talked about, we encourage you to visit our website, fairus.org, and to visit our social media platforms, especially Facebook and Twitter. And uh, that is going to wrap it up for today. I am Preston Hennikins. He's Spencer Raley, and this has been FAIR's Understanding Immigration Podcast.